Hey everyone, it is Jeff from Honor Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 276. And this week, I gotta tell you, it is jam-packed with solid advice for anyone who has a chronic health condition that could be a serious concern during any kind of a disaster, or crisis, or other event that could limit your access to medicines that you rely on. Now, my friend Dr. Joe Alton, otherwise known as Dr. Bones, he really over-delivered this week on giving up the good stuff. And you'll see exactly why he's become such a legend in prepper circles for his medical preparedness guidance. And you're definitely going to want to grab his books on his website. Now, I'll tell you, we've done our best to capture all the tips in this week's cheat sheet that you can get absolutely free. All you need to do is go on over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 276. But also be sure to download the audio when you get there because you're going to get a lot more of the nuances that put these tips into action when you listen to the full broadcast. Okay? All right. So, again, you get both by going to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 276. And now, let's check into our appointment with Dr. Bones. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. For a lot of fantasy preppers out there, the thought of a shit hits the fan collapse seems almost kind of romantic. They think they're going to grab their bug out bag, head off for the woods, live off the land, and gaze off into the wasteland, secure in the knowledge that while the clueless zombies of our society are starving and dying, they will endure. But the realities of living without an infrastructure are far from the cool images that you see in your favorite post-apocalyptic movie. In fact, I have some troubling statistics for you here. According to my research, almost 50% of the population has used at least one prescription drug in the past 30 days. More than 10% of us is on five prescription drugs. And more than 133 million Americans, or a whopping 45% of our population, have at least one chronic condition. Now, the CDC says the number is high, as high as 6 in 10, with 4 out of 10 adults having two or more chronic conditions. Now, we're talking about things like heart disease, blood pressure, respiratory issues, diabetes, and even long-term problems with pain management. In other words, a lot of Americans, including many preppers and survivalists, suffer from serious medical problems that require ongoing care. But in a crisis, a collapse, or a long-term emergency, that care may not be available to you. Hospitals are going to be overloaded. You won't be able to get in and see your doctor. Filling your prescriptions is going to be a thing of the past, or at least until the, cri the crisis has passed. So what do you do? Are you just doomed to die in a, a collapse because you can't get the medicine that you rely on? How are you going to survive? And what strategies can you take now to prepare for survival with medicine issues, medical issues before an emergency occurs? Now, these are the questions that we're going to be talking about today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with me today, back today, is Dr. Joe Alton, otherwise known as Dr. Bones. Joe, welcome back, man. Hey, it is great to be here, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's always good to have you on. I know you always have a lot of really cool stuff happening over there, and I'm really excited to every, you know, just keep our audience really up to date on what you've got going on there. And um, I'm really looking forward to this. This is a topic that very few people even have any expertise in. So I'm really looking forward to getting your, uh, your input on this stuff. So for everyone out there that hasn't listened to one of our previous episodes with, uh, with Dr. Alton, uh, he is often known in the prepper world as Dr. Bones, and he has practiced as a board-certified obstetrician and pelvic surgeon for more than 25 years before retiring to devote his efforts to preparing your family medically for any scenario. 
He's been a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the American College of Surgeons for many years. He served as the department chairman at local hospitals and as adjunct professor at local university nursing schools. He's also a regular contributor to such popular survival magazines as American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, and Backwoods Home. And he's been a speaker at various survival and preparedness conferences on the subject of medical readiness in austere times. Now, he has a bunch of books that you can find out there on his website as well as, I think, even Amazon, right? Are you on Amazon as well? Yes, I, yeah, we have a bunch of stuff on Amazon. Just look up my, uh, my, my author page, Joe Alden, MD, or yeah, Joseph the, Alden, MD. And the best way to do it is just go on over to their website. He's going to have links over there also. So that's, such books as the Survival Medicine Handbook, which is basically that is a staple. Like every survivalist needs to have that book because it's, it's, it's so in-depth. It's really cool. But he's got a new book out also that you're going to want to get, and it's called Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide. And it's really critical there that we say it's a layman's guide because you don't have to be a doctor and know all that terminology be able to understand how to put this stuff into your survival plan. So go check it all out over at his website at www.doomandbloom.net. All right, Dr. Joe. So uh, this is um, this is one of those topics. I know we have a lot of people. I mean, we have, you know, and you know, just from going to like the prepper conferences that I've seen you at, we have a lot of people who are older, some people that are overweight. We have a lot of people with chronic conditions that are out there. So we've got a, a five different ones here that I want to cover. Um, you know, you, you hear about, for example, like the opioid crisis that's going on. And I, I think a lot of, I think I just remember seeing that Vicodin is like one of the most popular, if not the most popular drug that's being put out there. And, and the fact is, is that pain management is a big deal for people, especially when you're looking at, um, you know, in, in a time of like a crisis where you've got like a collapse or something like that, people are going to want to get to those, those drugs and opioids have become a real crisis out there. But if you can't get to pain pain medications, what are, what is somebody that, that deals with chronic pain? What are some of the things that they can do without access to medical care and the medicines like the, at the pharmacy that they would normally have? Well, Jeff, we're asked about chronic pain a lot when we travel and, and, and certainly a lot of emails that we get and chronic pain and even things like drug addiction, they are a big issue if some disaster knocks you off the grid. Of course, the first strategy is to stockpile as much of your pain medicine as you possibly can. You know, many insurance plans will allow you to go early, a few days early, every month to pick up your prescription. And over time, you can probably accumulate a reasonable amount. You also might consider asking your doctor if he's a sympathetic or she is a sympathetic person for an extra prescription in case you can't get to them in, a, in on some kind of emergency. I think that that is something that would work too. Ask for a 90-day supply if that's how your pharmacy uh, dispenses it to you. So I think that that would be something that would be a really good idea. Have Always have a, some extra. It's really tough though to get, you really have to get that, that special person as a doctor that's sympathetic to your needs. Uh, pain is a big issue off the grid long term, as I mentioned, and even a good supply of drugs. If you really believe that some long term effect, long term disaster is going to occur, well, you know, they're going to get expended too. That means you have to go to natural plant substances that might be available in your own backyard or that you can grow yourself. Now, I can't recommend that you grow poppies for opium, but, you know, it was used for many, many thousands of years in Asia and other places. And if there is no existing legal system, 
Well, it may be an option. I can't recommend it to you, obviously, officially uh, on today's show. Uh, it's risky to use. It has a huge high addiction potential, but also will take care of a lot of pain issues. Now, a lot of people consider marijuana, and marijuana, indeed, has been known to have a small effect on pain, but mostly it's the sedative effect of marijuana that makes the pain more bearable. Now, CBD oil, which is uh, cannabinoids, which are basically chemical compounds in marijuana, may indeed, that are not psychoactive, may indeed be a good idea, uh, but the problem is, is there's no quality control for CBD oil at the present time. So you may be getting THC or the other psychoactive drugs mixed in with whatever CBD may actually be in there. So you have to really watch out. Now, a good non-opiate choice that you can grow on your own, and as a master gardener, I'm suggesting it is Kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M. Kratom is an herb that has been in widespread use in Asia for, well, thousands of years also. And there they chew the leaves to increase stamina and induce relaxation and to relieve pain. The natural compounds in Kratom act on opioid receptors receptors in the brain just like heroin and morphine do. However, it is not an opiate. It's actually a member of the coffee family. And people who have used Kratom swear by its effect. They say that it's gotten them off the street drugs and just go to YouTube and you'll uh, look up Kratom and you'll see all sorts of testimonials to that. So I think that's a good idea for lesser pain. The green underbark of willow, poplar, and aspen trees has a substance called salicin. This was used to make the first commercially produced aspirins in the late 1880s. So when in that case, you get off the outer bark, cut strips of the underbark, and make a tea or just chew it. The problem with all these natural substances, of course, is that you can't be exactly sure how much you're getting. Mm. That's an issue, and the quality and the strength. It could depend on a lot of different factors, weather conditions, soil, um, even the time of year that you harvest it. Yeah, oh, really good points. And yeah, friends of mine just were telling me about Kratom and um, I, I don't know that much about it, so I was going to go and check that out as well. So I'm, it's interesting that you, you brought that up. Um, so, so Dr. Bones, a lot of people have diabetes out there, right? Like a lot of people have diabetes and, and most people are, are trying to control it either, you know, with diet, but a lot of people I know also get really dependent upon things like insulin, like, you know, taking their insulin reading and then they have to either take a pill or they or shots or whatever. And those things are, people really depend, they become very dependent on those on a, on a daily basis. And so, um, in a, in a crisis situation, like a collapse or anything like that, where those types of medicines aren't available, for somebody that has diabetes, what are some other alternatives that they can do to try and mitigate their, their condition during a, a period where they don't have access to those medicines or, or medical care? Jeff, I'll tell you, diabetes is problematic for the survival medic in that the medications that are used to treat the worst cases are very unlikely to be manufactured or to retain their potency for a very long time. And of course, we're talking about long-term collapse scenarios. Uh, although a lot of drugs do retain their potency well after the expiration dates, insulin is not one of them, and that's what you need. Now, I'm not just interested professionally here. I have a son who is a, a severe diabetic, who wound up having dialysis, needed a kidney transplant, and now lives his life partially blind. Mm -hmm. So I'm personally invested in trying to get people to think of strategies that, that might help here. Now, there are two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. Type 1 requires the use of insulin, begins in childhood usually. It began in my kid at about the age of 8. 
Type 2 more commonly occurs in adulthood and is more, instead of a lack of insulin, is more of a resistance to insulin. You can often control it with diet and oral medications. Now, most states allow the purchase of regular and NPH insulin without a prescription. So get some, have a good supply of it at all times, keep it in a refrigerator, keep it there, keep it going as long as possible to retain its potency. The newer, newer insulins like Humalog, things like that, these are still by prescription, but glucometers and diabetic test strips are not. You can get, you should have plenty of them in your medical supplies also. You can stockpile vials of insulin and you, that's great, but you have to realize that the, potent, the potency of the medication is going to drop drastically within a very few weeks after the, the power goes off. If you cannot refrigerate it, it loses its potency pretty darn fast. And that's in that case, we're going to have to take more of it to get the same effect. I think that the main off-grid strategy, I'm really going outside the conventional wisdom here. And so you have to realize this. I'm talking about post-apocalyptic scenarios. For type 1 diabetes is to not push for control. Strict control is what we recommend now. And we try to get you to a fasting blood sugar, maybe 90 or, or as, at most 100 if you're diabetic. But I think that maybe a glucose, just keeping it below 200 might be a good thing to do. It'll stretch out your insulin supplies. It will allow you to be in relatively good shape. In other words, you just want a glucose level that's not going to cause the emergency condition called ketoacidosis that people can die of. And if you can do that and just maintain some control, I mean, this is very unhealthy advice for normal times, but it probably will give you a lot more time in a collapse scenario and maybe things will restabilize. And the amount of time that you have with your with the insulin that you have. Mm. Long-term, brittle type 1 diabetics like my son, we're going to develop keto, ketoacidosis and die probably within a few days if there is no insulin whatsoever. And mm. so this is something that is a, a big issue. Yeah. Now, there is some good news for type 2 diabetics. The physical exertion, the dietary restriction that you'll see and you have to experience in a long-term survival setting with all the activities of daily survival, well, you know what? It probably will stabilize the type 2 diabetic and maybe even improve the situation, especially if you started off obese or having a diet in which you ate a lot of sweet, sugary foods. Sugar is, sadly, a poison and maybe restricting your access to it may help your type 2 diabetes if you are one of those folks that really like sugar. So one thing I just thought of as, as you were saying that about like the type 1 and, and you, with the power going out, that is going to be an issue for a lot of people. Um, there are coolers out there now that you can plug like into your vehicle, like in the cigarette lighter. That So that might be a good way to maybe like plan for that sort of thing. Like that might be a piece of equipment that people don't have, right? Like, could that be helpful to somebody? I think that would be anything that you can do that will keep it in as cool, not freezing, not frozen. Definitely don't want to freeze it, but in a cool setting is going to increase the length of it. For example, most drugs, if you can store them at 50 degrees, they'll last twice as long as if they are in 90 degree weather. Hmm. Good. And for, for type 2 diabetes also, I mean, one of the things that I've done for myself, I don't have diabetes, but I always try to keep my blood sugar down just for, 
I got to keep my six pack abs. Well, there you go. Not really six pack. I still got a keg that's that's right there. It's not that <laughs> bad though. But but um, Ceylon cinnamon is something that I've always um I was a I was a health not a health practitioner. I was a, a fitness coach before and a trainer. And that was something I used to tell the people that I was working with was to use Ceylon cinnamon that because it reduces blood sugar. Um, and I've got like a giant bag of it. I have it in my coffee every morning. I have a, this strange concoction of a coffee that I drink every day. So is cinnamon really, is it, do you find that it's helpful at all for keeping blood sugar down? Cinnamon is one of the 30 herbs or so that I have seen recommended and and actually lists them in the survival medicine handbook. You can certainly, you can see my nat. I always add as many natural options as possible to the conventional strategies and also the survival strategies that I put out in my books. Uh, but I have to say that none of the herbs that I found, including cinnamon is as good to deal with diabetes as insulin. So yeah. you just have to know that. Gotcha. Okay. So Dr. Bones, uh, um, high blood pressure is a, is a, is a big thing out there. And it's one of those, you know, they always say like heart attacks are the silent killer. So it's one of those things where people just get on their medicine. They're used to taking it every day for high blood pressure. And then they just kind of forget about it. So it's, I find it becomes one of those prescription drugs that people just, they, they might not necessarily play for. I mean, of course we tell people to, to stock up as much as possible ahead of time. But for somebody that um, is looking at a longer term situation that they might run out of medicines, is there anything that things uh, people can do for high blood pressure to be able to help mitigate those, uh, that threat that's there? Well, you know, the first step to controlling uh, elevated pressures is to maintain a norm or return to a normal weight for your height and age. You know, the 74% of Americans were overweight or obese in the year 2007, and it's probably not much better today, might even be worse. Uh, most people who are obese will find that their pressure does decrease and sometimes back to normal when they lose weight. I bounce between uh, probably in a 10 pound range. And when I'm at my high part of my uh, range, well, uh, I find that my pressures are pretty borderline. And when I'm in my skinny part of my range, then my pressures are perfectly normal. So it is uh, something that I think would be one of the big things, dietary restriction, physical exertion. Well, you know, these are the best ways to get there. You need to restrict salt. You shouldn't be, at, should never add salt to your food. Uh, a lot of people do like the taste of salt. And so this is uh, just like sugar. It's, it can be a poison and it's especially bad for your blood pressure. So restrict sodium, uh, avoid alcohol, nicotine, and maybe caffeine. Both all these are known to raise pressures. So uh, abstaining from these substances may help. Uh, the National Institute of uh, health actually, speaking of that, recommends something called the DASH diet, the dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And a major feature of the plan is not only limiting intake of sodium, uh, but it generally encourages the consumption of certain foods like uh, tree nuts, whole grains, fish, poultry, and vegetables while lowering the amount of red meat, sweets, and sugar. It is also rich in protein and potassium, calcium, magnesium, all the things that are good. And studies have shown that the DASH diet uh, can reduce high pressures in as little as two weeks can start that process. So optimize your results by making sure that you stay with low-fat, fat-free foods, whole grains, nuts, seeds, dried beans, things like that, and stay away from um, added fats, uh, your vegetable oils, if you're going to have cooking oil, olive, corn, canola, 
um, safflower oil. These are things. And of course, cut back on sweets. Wow. A, a doctor that actually recommends a healthy diet versus this, here's your pill. It works in good times or bad. It's <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, Dr. Bones, let's, let's finally, let's talk about um, respiratory issues. So somebody might have asthma. I mean, there's a lot of people walking around with, you know, with a tank strapped to them with, uh, you know, they have to have oxygen. Um, so respiratory issues like asthma and things like that, a lot of those people need, are going to need things like inhalers. And that's, again, I think that was even in, what was that in like World War Z, right? Wasn't that like, the, that was right. like the big, uh, that was the big problem in the, uh, in the grocery store. Everybody was freaking yeah. out trying to get an inhaler. Um, so with somebody, somebody that has respiratory issues, is there anything that they can do? Are they just dead if they don't have inhalers or anything like that? Well, uh, the cornerstones, Jeff, of asthma therapy are the avoidance of trigger allergens, like smoke, chemicals, pet dander, also the maintenance of open airways. Of course, the medicines and stockpiling is, uh, your inhalers is a good idea, but sometimes you can't avoid these things, and especially if you're out of uh, uh, off the grid, rather. Your, your survival group members should have accumulated some of them, but if they, uh, you, if you're the medic, you should have some EpiPen and auto-injector inhalers. They will help with... Uh, not only will they help with allergic asthma, but studies of, on expired EpiPens have found that many of them are 80 to 90% effective hmm. even three to four years after the expiration date. So even the, the makers of the item of, of the EpiPen say not to throw them away that they, if, if you don't have anything, then these are still going to be worth using and they recommend using them. Now, if we don't have any of that at all, then you might consider various breathing methods, things that are thought to promote well-being and control the panic response that you see in asthma attacks. Asthmatics tend to breathe faster than non-asthmatics. They tend to be mouth breathers. And this exposes the lung to cooler and drier air, and that's a possible asthma trigger. Hmm. Uh, breathing exercises that encourage shallow breathing at a controlled rate well, they may actually reduce asthma symptoms and the need for medicine. So what I want you to do is inhale slowly through your nose and then exhale slowly as though you are going to whistle. When you, ex uh, when you inhale, basically your abdomen should be expanding, not your chest. You want to breathe with your abdomen and, and when you exhale, your abdomen should go, be going in. So you should try that out and see if you indeed are doing that. If not... Try to try to work on doing that because that will help. And make sure when you exhale that your exhalation is through pursed lips and is about twice as long as your inhalation. That I think is very important. By the way, these are techniques that are taught in yoga yoga classes. I, I was don't just going to say that. Yeah, I don't take yoga, but it is indeed something that might be helpful. Other things that are natural uh, acupuncture. Some people claim that that helps. Ginger and garlic tea. Um, coffee, interestingly enough, coffee may be bad for some things, but actually for asthma, it may not, it may be good because the chemical structure of coffee or caffeine is very similar to the asthma drug theophylline that a lot of people are on. And other herbal, herbal teas that you can use are like uh, ephedra, colt's foot, um, nettle, butter burr. I have a whole list of this again is in the survival medicine handbook, chamomile, uh, rosemary. These uh, have all been put forth in the past as the, a 
potential way to improve an asthmatic attack. Uh, also, by the way, steam inhalation therapy with something like eucalyptus oil, that I think is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Rub a few drops in your hands and breathe it in. That's direct in steam, uh, steam inhalation. That's direct inhalation, but steam inhalation, you get a, a bowl of water, put a few drops in hot water that's, that steam's coming out of, and then cover your head with a uh, towel and breathe in the uh, vapors. And so if you do that, I think that would be a, a good start. Okay, so so here's the problem I have. Normally at the beginning of all of our podcasts with my intro, I always say, and don't forget to grab your handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet for all the <laughs> items that we covered today. So this week is going to be a handy-dandy 15-page cheat sheet <laughs> of all the tips that you just gave us. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to help. <laughs> yeah, no, you really over-delivered. I really appreciate it. Listen, everybody, um, I have personally known uh, Dr. Bones and his wife, Nurse Amy, for, for many years now. Um, I, I just can't, I can't say it enough. Like, if you don't have their survival, their, their survival guide, their survival medicine guide um, in your repertoire there that you just have that you can take with you anywhere you go in a crisis – you, um, that is like, that's one of the first things you should really should go out there and get when it comes to really cool survival gear. That book is going to potentially save your life. It is a must have in your library. So definitely go and check them out over at the, uh, over at his website at doomandbloom.net and check out his other books there as well. They've also got a YouTube channel. They have their own podcast, which I'm going to be on someday. I'm getting on there yeah. someday, but you have an um, so, open invitation. Yeah, awesome. So uh, listen, everybody, This uh, hopefully I got, I got a lot out of this. I know it's a lot of notes, but we are going to go ahead and put this into our cheat sheets for you so you have something to refer back to as well. All right, and until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>